Welcome to Compliance Pointers, where we take an in-depth look into the latest news, trends, and challenges surrounding information security, privacy, and marketing compliance. Let's dive in with your host, Matt Cagle. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Compliance Pointers. I'm your host, Matt Cagle. I'm joined by uh, my buddy, Matt Dumiak, our Director of Privacy Services. Uh, Matt and I have had the pleasure of working together for going on, 15, going on 15 years. Yep, 15 years. Um, he knows a little bit about privacy. We're glad to have him here to uh, share his insights. Uh, there's obviously not been a lot of uh, change in the privacy sector in 2023, particularly at the state level here in the U.S., uh, we would need to have a whole private or podcast series to uh, address everything that has uh, happened in 2023. So for the sake of time, I yeah, wanted to focus this uh, a bit on uh, data privacy impact assessments. Yep. Uh, basically, want to get your perspective uh, for our listeners on what is a data privacy impact assessment and what tips would we have for uh, our listeners on how to leverage those and do so hopefully in an efficient fashion. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, to your point, it has been a really active year. I think 2023 was the most successful year on the legislative front for states to pass a privacy law. I think they're starting to finally figure it out. And so with that, we have actually seen that we'll just call them DPIAs for short. Uh, the majority of states are starting to have that requirement in their state law. And so it is very common at this point, I believe 10 of the 12 states have a data privacy impact assessment requirement. Uh, three are only effective today, but it's gonna obviously expand over the next couple of years and states are gonna continue to pass privacy laws. So I think the number is just gonna continue to grow. It's in basically in the vast majority of every state law. So it's obviously a priority. Uh, and then we can kind of talk a little bit about what they are, if that sounds good. I know we're gonna provide kind of that base. Yeah, so before we get into to how to use them and how to do so effectively, what is a data privacy impact assessment? Impact assessment, sure. So it's a good question. Um, the goal it's the goal is to help organizations or businesses understand through doing a DPIA what risks are presented to the consumer through that processing activity. And so when we talk about a risk assessment or any type of assessment, traditionally an organization or a business might be thinking about an assessment of their own practices and the risks it presents to the business. A DPIA is a different way of looking at that. So it's actually the risks to the consumer when it comes to that processing activity. Okay. So for the non-privacy experts, perhaps such as myself, <laughs> uh, if I'm if I'm a company, yep, and I am capturing uh, customer data mm -hmm. what type of event internally in my organization would trigger me to perform a dpia yeah and so it's it's pretty broad triggers right. there are pretty broad triggers but just even backing up so a dpi is required when processing activity presents heightened risk to the consumer and then these laws what they'll do is kind of explain or outline really very clearly what kinds of activities would present heightened risk to the consumer. So some of those examples are things as broad as targeted advertising, which probably feels a bit under attack from these privacy laws, given there are a lot of obligations for organizations. 
that are doing targeted advertising. But if an organization is processing sensitive personal information, so things like health information, uh, but we could go beyond that, like political alignment or sexual preference or anything like that that might be considered more sensitive than just your personal information. Um, if there's a chance, and this is kind of broad too, but if it's a, there's a chance that the consumer could be treated unfairly or deceptively, like a lot of organizations, they're not looking to do anything like that, but I do think it kind of speaks to how broadly an organization needs to think about these processing activities and not just that it's like, oh, we have a risk of a breach, but like, but you know, decisions that might occur around that data and then beyond that, just thinking about the harms that might come up, come to that consumer if there is some type of adverse action. Makes sense. So before I even consider a DPIA, first off, what data is my company collecting? Yep. How are we handling that data, processing it, et cetera? Uh, what are the elements that's included in that data? And then I need to basically compare that to these various state requirements and obligations that you've mentioned to see, does that trigger DPIA. Yeah, specifically the processing activity using that data. Okay. Yep. It's going to be processing activity specific. So keeping that in mind too, I think is when we talk about kind of some challenges that organizations face is that's also kind of broadly written. And so aligning that to your DPIA is really critical as well to make sure that it's accurate, obviously. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, right now, if I if I go through this exercise, I would have, is it two states that I would need to Look at their requirements that are in effect. Yes, correct. Uh, right. But it's soon going to be perhaps another 10 or so. Yes, we're exactly right. And so. I think we both agree that the remaining 38 states are likely to follow suit. Oh, of course. Pretty soon. Yeah, there you can look at these laws. They're largely copycat at this point outside of California, who's going to be the, the pack leader. Of okay. course. So for looking at the processing activities, do you have examples you've seen from working with our clients of business situations that typically do trigger that? Yeah, and you know we talked a little bit about them earlier just because they are so broad, but targeted advertising, if an organization has a website, they're doing that, right? But if you're talking about processing activities that might contain, if you're doing a survey and you collect gender or well, any type of sensitive category of information, but you know, anything yeah. like that. So the, the elements laid out by these states, I guess my question is, sure. as a company, what, what should cause me to want to reevaluate at that point if a DPIA is required? Could it be the acquisition of another company, oh, using a new third-party vendor, possibly yeah. a new yes. campaign yes. lead source? Exactly. And so... Yeah, that's a great question. Um, acquisition, of course, would certainly undertake that. Um, any type, you really want to set up, we really recommend our clients set up some type of threshold analysis. So before triggering or undergoing a full-blown DPIA, which can be fairly comprehensive and, a, and very time-consuming, setting up some type of analysis or threshold analysis that would set a kind of a, a shorter questionnaire or version of a DPIA to say whether or not a DPIA is required. And yeah, any number of those things may trigger that DPIA. Um, new marketing activities, new uh, new vendors, acquisition of an organization, certainly, but in the, at that point, they might have their own DPIAs, and that's kind of much broader. At that point, you might require several DPIAs if it's through an acquisition. But yeah, any number of those things would 
would certainly warrant at least understanding whether or not you need to do a DPIA. Okay. Yep. That and makes sense. So you, as an organization, have processes in place to evaluate those types of trigger events to determine does it change the data that's in your possession, the way you're handling it, processing processing. It, it trigger yeah, com very common these days. What we're seeing a lot triggering a DPA is like a chat bot going on the okay. website and saying, okay, we're using it for see a lot more in the customer service space where it's just helping consumers kind of get to answers quickly. It's not really making a ton of automated decisions around that, per, you know, that consumer or anything like that, that might be, you know, uh, risk, you know, risky at that point that you would say, but, you know, you'd want to evaluate that through a DPIA to ensure that, hey, what are we collecting? What are we doing with it? How are, you know, a lot of times with any type of chatbot or something that may be beyond that considered artificial intelligence those types of organizations and products are you know compiling or aggregating that information making their own solution better but might be making some making some decisions in the background depending on how they work um that's an that's kind of a one that we see fairly common okay. you know out there in the space so it sounds like an initial challenge in this area is just understanding whether or not a DPIA is required at the time. Yep, uh, exactly. If you come to the conclusion uh, that you should conduct one, what are some other challenges companies should be on the lookout for? Yeah, and so these these DPIAs that require they require a lot of information, and so challenges our clients are facing are you know even finding the information because it is can be broad, it can go across the organization. You know, like it or not, a lot of times the DPI tends to sit in the privacy wheelhouse. And so it's the privacy team that's shepherding those DPIs along. Well, they might not know the ins and outs and the technology and the different uh, systems and applications that might be in use with this processing activity. Like if we're talking, just let's talk about a website chatbot. At that point, you're talking about, okay, well, you know, we have to talk to the website team, we have to talk to the IT team, we might need to talk to procurement. So even just getting the information can be a challenge because everybody's busy, everybody has a day job, collecting that or compiling that kind of information may not be as easy as we think it is when we're kind of going through that exercise. And, you know, I think it's, you can admit as the team that it's going through it pretty quickly if you don't know what the answers are, trying to find that help, you know, sooner rather than later, because again, these things can be, the DPIs can be fairly robust and very time consuming. So getting to that information is certainly a challenge. Okay. I know talking to you, uh, often uh, our compliance and privacy clients are, are limited from a staffing and resource standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's changing a bit, right? uh, it becomes uh, higher profile um, in the space, but, uh, beyond the challenges of gathering the information perhaps having the support or bandwidth to do it yeah any other common issues you see our, our clients having yeah and we can even talk a little bit about how to overcome those too but um we talked about the requirements around the dpia and when it's required so the broad triggers are certainly a challenge i think that's kind of you know it's a different way of thinking about how an organization can go about processing personal information and so even that and understanding those but then also um, what if you go through the dpia process and, and the processing activity is too risky so kind of even you know when you're going through the dpia it's the goal is to understand the risk and mitigate the risk so you can apply controls or mitigating measures if you find that for example 
you're processing personal information and you're transmitting it in, you know, unencrypted format, right? Okay, well, let's encrypt that data. Let's mitigate that risk. There might be a time where you're doing something through this DPI where you cannot mitigate the risk and the organization really needs to, at that point, it's almost a culture switch a little bit of saying, well, we can't do this processing activity. And at times for the business, that's going to be tough to swallow, right? That's going to be a tough pill to swallow. And so even that can certainly be a challenge because you are going to find that. I think risk in general is somewhat of a challenging topic for some organizations because understanding what their appetite for risk is, but then also how do you track risk? How do you treat risk? How do you understand what there might be, um, you know, kind of risk that remains? Um, that is certainly a challenge for organizations to think through and something we're helping shepherd along is helping establish that appetite for risk and how to mitigate risk and how to learn, you know, what are we going to accept versus what are we going to have to, you know, either put a control around or not do. I know we see this all the time with our clients where uh, compliance, legal, those that have been tasked with this responsibility, obviously it's part of the job. They want to mitigate risk. Yep. Uh, Often the, the business has goals um, and mitigating that risk could impact their ability to hit those. Um, so you might not always be getting that executive or, or leadership support. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you seeing companies do when they have conducted the DPIA? They've identified that there's a high risk of processing, but it's pretty critical to their business operations. Sure. And uh, it's going to depend, obviously, per situation. You can't give me the consultant. <laughs> you know, away with it. it depends here. Because it is so specific yeah. to the processing activity. Um, but I mean, it's implementing those compensating controls or, you know, at times we have to be, you to be candid, you have to accept the risk at some level too. If an organization is going to find that with the DPIA, if it's that critical to the businesses goal or moving forward with some type of processing activity, they may just be willing to accept it. And, you know, oftentimes you can mitigate the risk, right? If that's, again, through those examples we talked about, is it more transparency to the consumer? Is it giving them additional privacy rights and the ability to opt in or opt out of that processing activity? Is it, you know, some type of technical or security control? A lot of times there's kind of some core principles that you can operate behind with transparency and choice. Those can go a long way in mitigating a lot of the risk. But again, it might come down to, you know, working with the executive team to educate them on the situation and make sure that everyone's on the same page that you're accepting it as well. Makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think we'd both agree that you're worse off knowing that you've got high risk and doing yep. nothing about it than probably never being aware of that risk at all, right? Exactly. So you're exactly right. Once companies go through this exercise and indeed, a uh, high risk level, uh, you've got to do something. Yes. Like you said, compensating controls, mitigate it in some form or fashion, at least have that paper trail showing you took a thoughtful approach and that you had a, a legitimate reason to continue with that, that yeah. processing. It, well, it, exactly right. And even, you know, for another challenge that, you know, we're not attorneys, so I don't know the ins and outs of this, but in working with outside counsel, another challenge with this D, these DPIAs and kind of very similar along the lines that you were just talking about, Matt, is um, ensuring that where it's applicable that you have attorney-client privilege. And uh, so that, you know, as you, these are living documents, as you're completing them, maybe some things aren't finalized, like you need to ensure that maybe a draft DPIA is labeled as draft. And, you know, a final DPIA should be accurate, comprehensive, needs to be the 
the final version of whatever that process and activity is outlining all of those things that a DPI requires, because what you don't want to do is start balancing. Oh, we have this one that identifies this risk, but doesn't clearly identify that we mitigated that risk. Right. And so even like working through that is uh, really critical for sure. So I want to talk about organizationally uh, who you would need to involve in this exercise and, and what our clients can expect when they uh, embark on this exciting journey. Yep. Uh, before we move <laughs> to any any other challenges we want to raise for the audience? Uh, no, I think we've talked enough about challenges. All right. Yeah. Okay. So segueing very gracefully into the topic of uh, who you would want to include from the organization, right? If I'm charged with conducting these DPIAs and uh, spearheading an organizational initiative, what departments, groups do I need to mm -hmm. expect to include in that effort? Mm -hmm. Sure. So we've talked a, a good bit about the fact that these are broad and they require a lot of different pieces of information to complete one um, in a DPIA. It's a multidisciplinary approach. Of course, it's a legal obligation. Uh, you would want to have your legal team involved. Uh, we talked a little bit about the tech team, IT, information security, they would likely be involved. And then from an operational perspective, ensuring that you can get this thing across the finish line even, you may want to consider including your project management office uh, because you will need to shepherd this along. You'll need to gather information from various groups. And it just depends on the process and activity. It could be marketing, it could be HR, any type of department that is pertaining to the personal information processing activity would likely be involved with this DPI so you could get the information that you need. Um, but again, privacy team too is going to kind of sit on top to help reveal those privacy risks and assist with advising on how to mitigate those risks too. So our clients have standing meetings uh, or a committee that gets together periodically to see is, is it time to conduct a DPIA? Yeah. Do we need to add anybody else into this conversation? I guess how administratively, operationally, how do you stay on top of that? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, some will. Some will have a committee. Others, if they're more mature, will have a process of regularly either reviewing or onboarding and approving new processing activities. Like it or not, a lot of times those are tied to vendors. That might be a good place to start if you're launching your DPI, DPI operational process. But at that point, it might be as simple as having some type of meeting or questionnaire that answers or asks a few of those questions that we've talked about and determining whether or not that DPI is required. So then it would be that trigger. Again, some of the more mature clients we're working with, that would be through some type of vendor onboarding process or processing activity approval process that would automatically kick off a DPIA. And it has assigned parties and you can assign different parts of it. If you're working from Excel or Word, obviously that's going to be a little bit harder. Uh, the team is going to be kind of hunting down that information or sending it to the various business requirements. But certainly the committee approach is one we see very often. And again, it might even sit with like procurement or something like that when the when the vendor or a new contract comes on board because that is typically tied to a new processing yeah, activity. Trigger event. Yeah, exactly. Initiates that evaluation. Exactly. Okay. So as we uh, put a bow on this, any recommendations you would have on how to make this process easier? Yeah, we have a good bit of those. Absolutely. And we, we're always looking to make it easier for our clients, of course, as consultants. Yeah, absolutely. That's, right. We don't want to go by the old uh, adage, there's a consultant always, you can pay to make the problem worse. Uh, certainly, I think, and we talk a little bit about this um, through our webinars and through our blogs and things like that too. I think 
many, oftentimes an organization wants to start with just a template. Hey, we'll get a DPI template and we'll launch that. And it's going to be great. Not really realizing that the questions are pretty complex. No one knows how to answer those questions just yet. And so kind of thinking about that a little, like back it up a little bit before launching that template in this process would be looking at the requirements, looking at the benefits to the business and defining some success metrics around what a DPIA process would look like. Is it ensuring that you're reducing risk to both the business and the consumer? Is it reducing vendor redundancies when you're conducting these DPIAs and looking at the entire ecosystem and understanding what vendors are there and what pro what they do, what they're doing with personal information? Um, you know, that's really critical. I think education to the business and doing training. Um, we've all been through that process or we've all been engaged in a process that may not impact our day-to-day -day business responsibilities. And I think one of the first questions is, why is this important? Why am I in this room? What does it mean to me? You know, uh, so really educating and training can go a long way. I think it gives some people some skin in the game as well, um, because they know now at this point, like, okay, um, there's a process. I know what it means or I know why I have to do it. I know why it's critical. Um, you know, we are pretty fortunate that, you know, a lot of individuals within the business who aren't even working within the data privacy space every day are interested in data privacy. So they are, you can certainly get volunteers in that front too, as you're going through the education and training process, because people definitely want to help. Um, and then even going beyond that, okay, you've defined success, you've trained, you've, you've educated the business, uh, ensuring that you establish a culture of accountability, because these things, uh, the DPIA is going to take over take some project management and you're going to need information and there should be deadlines set so that these things can continue to uh, move forward and you can get the necessary information you need uh, from the various business units you might be working with. You know, I think those all those types of things are really critical in ensuring this is a successful process. Any, and I know we're up on time, I guess any, gotchas that you'd want to call out for the audience I yeah absolutely agree with any initiative like this education support from executives and leadership to get that organizational buy-in is is critical and standardization templates and so on mm -hmm. of course um any particular areas that would be a red flag for our clients or just anything that they should have on their radar? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the appetite for risk and, and then also managing enterprise risk are something that, you know, I don't want to, that's not an easy task and it's not something easy to establish. And so I think that that goes kind of back towards really ensuring that you have buy-in from the business and it could be it, that it needs to go up to the executives depending on company culture right we can't speak for that today but you know if it does if it requires the board or the executive team to kind of sign off on that um oftentimes what we hear is you go through a dpa and like when we come in to help an organization kind of operationalize this they've been doing it and they're like okay we did this dpa but now what you know, things might change or we found these risks and we don't have a good understanding of how to treat risk and manage risk. Um, those types of things are a little bit of a, you know, they're a little bit of a culture change with an organization. So I'd say 
look out for that, especially because, uh, as we've talked about, these DPIAs have not traditionally been required in the United States. And so now all of a sudden with these state privacy laws requiring them, uh, you know, not only will the regulators expect you to know a little bit more about risk and how to manage it, but they could even request these DPIAs. Uh, you may be required in California to submit an abridged version of them at the end of the year. So thinking through how you're going to demonstrate that you are understanding risk, where you're accepting it, where you're treating it, and where that rationale is, you know, I think will be really critical. Yeah, agreed. I think overall it's yes. a new way at, at looking at data and data processing um, culturally, mm -hmm. uh, especially for your organizations that have been around a while with tenured executives it's a it's a change in the mindset and yeah. uh, i think we're seeing it have to happen out of necessity here rather quickly as these state laws evolve rapidly and we've even seen some federal enforcement here not related to unfortunately u.s uh, federal privacy laws to make everyone's life easier but uh, particular enforcement from uh, the ftc uh, where they have not been thrilled with the way that companies are capturing and protecting, securing their client data. All right, well, Matt, thank you for your time. Um, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you are not currently a subscriber, please hit that uh, subscribe button on whatever uh, podcast platform you prefer. And uh, as a reminder, we uh, are issuing episodes like this on a regular basis. Should you need any support with your data privacy, data security, or compliance initiatives, please don't hesitate to reach out to the team at Compliance Point. You can reach us directly at connect at compliancepoint.com. Thank you.